Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special live episode of Locked On Canadians. We are here with draft expert Tony Ferrari. We're going to be debriefing you all on the 2022 Montreal Canadiens draft class, and that's all coming up next. Your Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, as always, we are Locked On Canadians at LO underscore Canadians on Twitter. My wonderful co-host is setting up all of our social stuff right now. So, if you are listening to this, you can't see that. I'm giving you the peek behind the curtain. I am Scott Matla, as always. And we are joined today by one of our favorite people. It is Bald King season in this in this group right now. Tony Ferrari, thank you once again for joining us. We are so glad to have you back. And how the draft, the draft is over now. How long until you start talking about the 2023 draft class? Uh, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was just talking to somebody today about the the players from that draft class. So uh, basically <laughs> immediately, unfortunately. Oh, man. I, it's it, it's still Connor Bedard, I would assume, correct? Like, it's yeah. still Connor Bedard. Yeah, Connor, Connor Bedard's still number one. But I think number two, over the last few months, there's there's some debate now with Mitch Goff still being amazing as he is but i think the the adam fantilli emergence that everyone's kind of starting this starting to realize and i I mean myself i know will scouch another friend of the show dylan griffing we've all been kind of pumping his tires a little bit the last few months because he has been absolutely fantastic and it's like maybe he does overtake mitchcock for number two or maybe there's just this three-headed monster at the top of the draft Oh no, a three-headed monster at the head of the draft class and the canadians aren't expected to be good how terrible for us next year uh anyways we're gonna we're gonna push 2023 to a later date when we discover that the canadians aren't as good as we hope they were next season the 2022 draft has come and gone uh we got to witness it live where the montreal canadians both stunned and made everybody so happy with the prediction with the selection prediction wow my words are <laughs> flying out of my face at this point of yuri Slavko- yuri slavkovsky at first overall People said there were boos. I heard a lot of cheering. Based on what the Canadians did in round one, including the trade for Kirby Doc, does it put the selection of Slavkovsky in a different light uh, for like the prospecting world? Or is this still one of those, we're going to have to wait and see if he hits a ceiling kind of thing still? Yeah, it's interesting because you still do want to see if he hits a ceiling. I think at the end of the day, it was tight enough at the top where – if you go, hey, we can get rid of – we can. I don't want to say get rid of Romanov, but you, we can trade Romanov in a third-round, fourth-round pick, essentially for Doc. It does make it a little bit easier to kind of go with Slavkovsky at the top of the draft because, like I said, it was pretty close at the end of the day. Um, the one kind of other avenue that I, I let play off in my head is what if they went with Shane Wright and found a way to acquire Alex Dabrinkat instead, get the winger through trade rather than the, the center. But at the end of the day – they got two really good players in the first round in, in Massar and Slavkovsky. And then they got Doc as well and addressed the center position that way. So it's not like they came away without a center. They got some really good players in this draft as well. So I think uh, overall, I think you look at the Montreal Canadiens draft class and you're you're pretty happy with it. I'm glad you mentioned Alex Dabrinkat because that's kind of where my headcanon has been at is that 
knowing that he was on the block because Chicago is just nuking their entire team down to the studs and Seth Jones at this point is that I wonder if they tried to get to bring cat. And if they did, they would have taken Wright or Cooley at first overall, but they had had to settle for Kirby doc there. I, based on, I haven't gotten to watch any of development camp at this point, but I know that anytime Slavkovsky does anything that Twitter, or at least Habs Twitter, absolutely is losing their mind. The man broke a Wingate bike on the first day of training, which I think just sets the tone is that everyone is in love with this kid right now. I assume they would have loved Shane Wright too, but I look at this and I'm in awe. I actually like seeing the size of this kid in person. Like he's gigantic and he's not gigantic for nothing, which I think is a lot of people worried about Michael McCarroning this pick a little mm-hmm. bit. And I, I don't see it because Slavkovsky feels a lot more talented and willing to, you know, build on what he already has there. I don't know how I haven't gotten a chance to watch a ton of him, you know, playing in the Olympics and stuff, but how far off base am I there? No, I think you're pretty right. You're pretty accurate. I, I don't think he's big for nothing. I think that's the, always the worry when you draft a huge guy, um, especially a guy at Slavkovsky's size. But at the end of the day, this is a really skilled playmaker who at the showed at the Olympics that he does have a goal scoring touch as well. And I think that's the interesting thing I've seen from a lot of people covering Slavkovsky's draft pick with Montreal is they, they keep pumping this, this goal scoring ability, this goal scoring ability. And yes, it's there, obviously like we watched him score seven goals at the Olympics in seven games, but this guy's a skilled playmaker off the wall. He does extremely well at using his size to maneuver around the ice rather than just bully his way around the ice. And he does have the ability to bully his way around a little bit too, but He's a guy that will roll off a guy along the wall. He'll, he'll tr- try to use his size and reach to kind of poke the puck free and then skate onto it. There's a lot he does as a skilled game rather than the power game, but he does bring that power element as well. So he, I know I saw a few people on Habs Twitter trying to go, oh, maybe he's a center at the next level. And it's like, okay, guys, like you, you got your center. Like, let's calm down. <laughs> you got Kirby Doc. It's okay. We don't need to force Slavkovsky into being a center. But looking down the line, if you have a top line that has Slavkovsky – along with uh, Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki, I don't think you're really complaining about that because you have size on one side, a a finisher on the other side, and then two extremely good playmakers in Suzuki and Slavkovsky. And at the end of the day, I think Suzuki and Slavkovsky both have shown they can finish as well. So it's not like they're complete playmaking in in only single threat guys. I think one of the things that was very, very evident to me throughout draft weekend, and it had been a while since I'd been among hockey people and among, you know, all the action and stuff is that, I'd forgotten just how stark the difference is between, you know, the public um, uh, information that, you know, people like you have to work really hard to gather and the internal team rankings, right? And it like, you know, you guys have to try to be as objective as possible um, and try to present something that, that, that everybody can kind of draw on, whereas teams value different things. And even in the scouting community, we've talked a little bit about how, about how there's little variation. So my question is, to you as somebody who has been, you know, we've talked to you about this before multiple times about the right versus Slavkovsky. And I don't think right now it's, it's worth, you know, sort of litigating that right now. We're going to see in five or 10 years. But one of the things that the Canadians themselves have mentioned and Slavkovsky has mentioned is that they need to work hard on his development because as we said, he's still a very young player. He's an 18 year old that showed massive potential. What is, what in your mind should the Canadians work on to sort of maximize his development? Like what should they have him focus on? What are things that he needs to sort of um, learn or grow upon in order to make it to the next level? Like we're assuming 
that they're going to do what's best for him, whether that's stay in the AHL or uh, he doesn't, he wants to come to North America. So they're, we're assuming that they're going to do the best. So what do you think are the steps that he needs to take or the Canadians need to work on with him uh, to sort of maximize his potential on this team? Well, I think the, one of the big things is he just needs to continue getting more and more mobile, generate more power from his base when he's skating. I think I don't think that's an issue, but I think it's something that where you can improve on. And if this guy gets a little faster, a little bit more powerful, a little bit more agile specifically in the open ice, I think that could be a huge difference maker for him. I think the other thing he needs to work on is I, I mentioned how good of a playmaker he is, but his playmaking is almost instinctual. It's not like he's reading the ice at times. And I think that's where he could improve a little bit there. And I think, when he comes off the wall, like I mentioned, he'll roll off a guy out of a board battle, come out with a puck, and then he just sends the puck to the middle of the ice. Find the guy where he is. Find the Nick Suzuki or Cole Caulfield or whoever else is on your on his line and, and put the puck on their stick rather than hoping that they're in the area you kind of hope that he kind of wants them to be in. Uh, at the end of the day, Cole Caulfield's a, a really elite goal scorer, but he's not the goal scorer that's going to get to the front of the net all the time. He's the goal scorer that's going to fade into, fade into the little pockets of space. Slavkovsky working with that is going to need to understand, hey, I don't necessarily know he's going to be in this exact spot because Caulfield's going to score all over the ice. Suzuki's a player that's sneaky good in in space and works through traffic, and I think that's going to be the big thing for him. Where he has the passing ability, there's no doubt he can make the pass. It's just whether or not he realizes where the pass needs to go at the times. Just little things like that. I don't think there's anything major that needs to be worked on in this game. And at the end of the day, like every 18-year-old for the most part, it's just some defensive responsibility and engagement in his own end. I think he isn't a bad defensive player at all. He uses his reach really well, but just kind of refining where he needs to be, where the Canadians want him within their system. And at the end of the day, learning their system is going to be a big thing for him. And we have so much more on the NHL draft. We have Philip Mayshar, we have Owen Beck, and we have Laura's new favorite short King Lane Hudson. And that's all coming up in our next segment. But first, Today's show is brought to you by BetOnline.net. They are your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Get all the latest developments from, you know, Major League Baseball. You can bet on boxing, the UFC, golf, all the golf out there right now. I know it is the offseason. It's everywhere. They've got all your wagering info, live betting, esports scores. They've got news, podcast scores, everything right on the site. So go head to the website, that's betonline.net, or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. Bet online, where the game starts. So we are back with our very special guest. We are Locked On Canadians, Laura Sabah, the active stick, myself, Scott Matla, the guy who pretends to be a prospect expert, until we have actual prospect experts on the podcast in Tony Ferrari at the Tony Ferrari on Twitter. If you're not following him, you are missing out on so, so, so much. Trust us. You're going to want to check this out. We're going to get this out of the way first because we did draft one of my favorites to start the second round, but I feel like I talked so much more in the first segment than Laura did. So we're going to talk about Laura's new favorite player in the Canadians organization, short King Lane Hudson, who brought an endocrinologist note to the draft combine to say that, yes, I will be taller than this. And the Canadians went, good, you're picked 62nd overall. Tony, lay it on us. What do we need to know about Lane Hudson and why should we love Lane Hudson the way that Twitter is telling me? Well, he's probably maybe the most skilled defenseman in this entire draft. That's the big thing with him is he's got all of the dynamism, all of the skill that you want. He's got incredible mobility. He's one of the best skaters on the back end of this draft. 
and there's so much to like about his game. If this kid was two inches taller, like the endocrinologist says he could be, he very <laughs> well could have been a top 15 pick, maybe even a top 10 pick. Probably would have been challenging Juracek and, and Nemec as the top defenseman in this class because he does bring so much to the game offensively, so much dynamism. The puck moving ability is unreal. His mobility is unreal. There are some of the things that he does on the ice that give you shades of Kale McCarr. And while I don't think he's going to be that player, there, there are little pockets and moments in this game where you're like, wow, that was special. That, that's not something every hockey player, let alone every defenseman, can do. So I, I think Lane Hudson has so much upside. I talked to him earlier this year. He's a guy that understands his game, knows where he needs to improve, especially on the defensive end of the ice, understands that he's never going to be a guy that goes in there and finishes along the boards and bangs and mashes behind the, below the goal line and whatnot. He's a guy that needs to go into the pile outskill guys use body position to really get under the underneath the players and get on the right side of the puck and, and at the end of the day use his skill to work his way out of the, the trouble like that he's not a guy like i said he's not going to go in there the way romanov would and blow up a guy in transition he's going to go in there and poke the puck free and then be the first guy up by with the puck on his stick and make some plays offensively so there's going to be room to grow with him, certainly, and that's not even a – I didn't mean that as a joke. <laughs> but there's a lot of room to grow defensively with him, but the offensive game is as dynamic as any defenseman on, on the Canadian system right now. So this is the guy that I look at, and I'm like, man, if, if they can put him in a situation to succeed, put him with a big defenseman that can, is still mobile. Don't go chasing a guy that isn't going to be able to kind of play a game of hockey as well just to pair him with size. Put him with a mobile big defenseman that can be a little bit more stout defensively and let him freelance a little bit. Let him be that fourth forward at times. Let him be a, a rover, and he can be a real big difference maker for this team, a, a real power play threat and a guy that can run the power play for the next 10 years. I love that you said the word rover because to me, all of the teams that kind of are moving towards that skill, that 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 period of excellence now where we're leaving a lot of the size behind and we're going for market inefficiencies. The word rover comes up in those organizations a lot and they've always got at least one defenseman who plays that role. Might not be their number one guy like Kale McCarr, but there's always a guy who can do that, who can play that sort of role. I think it's being phased back into the NHL. We might never term it that, but I love defensemen like this. And I just, for me, Lane, Lane Hudson, as a short person, first of all, I want him to succeed for my people, but also just <laughs> the stones on that kid bringing a doctor's note to the combine I just like that attitude to me that that shows you like he's going to do what it takes to you know to, to realize his dream which right now is going to be playing in the NHL for the Montreal Canadiens so I'm just over the moon about this kid yeah I laughed at when the note report came out because I'm like I don't even care if it's true I just don't <laughs> Like, just the fact that he brought a note, knew what kind of doctor he needed to go to, and be like, the endocrinologist said I'm going to be taller. I promise you. Like, that's, that's what's going to happen. Like, I look at this Canadian's draft class. So, like, Slavkovsky, or uh, was it uh, Slavkovsky or Mayshar, beat them in ping pong. And they yeah. were like, well, I guess we're doing this now. And this kid brought a doctor's note. They went all swagger on this draft class. And yeah, I love it. You can't not love that, right? Like, that's amazing. And my last thought on Hudson, because Rock Smasha in our uh, YouTube uh, chat here would have been happy with Hudson at 26, would have been really excited with him at 33. They got him at 62. And there's a report coming out that the Canadians are interested in re-signing Brett Kulak, who they traded to the Oilers to get pick 62. So they would have traded Brett Kulak, gotten Lane Hudson, and then still gotten Brett Kulak back. That's it's, just, it's beautiful. And it's one of those things where you look at it and you're like, 
how smart is this front office? And I think that's just, just as a general kind of consensus on this draft class, you look at the way they've drafted in previous years and Montreal's always found ways to get good players out of their draft, but this draft class truly did seem like a deviation from where they used to what how they used to do things. They went for skill. They went for not only the guy that can be big and strong and everything in Slavkovsky, but is a guy that's a, a really silky smooth playmaker. They went with a guy like Mashar, who's got the skill and the the ability to play a, a really not necessarily rough and tug, tumble game, but a high energy, high work ethic game. Lane Hudson, Owen Beck, Vincent Rohar, even go down to, to the seventh round pick, the last pick of their draft, and Miguel Turegni. That's not a guy that necessarily Mark Bergeron and the previous staff would have drafted. So they went with guys that I think they're looking at for high upside. They're looking at guys with skill. And I think that's a huge development for the Montreal Canadiens. And that's, I'm glad you mentioned that they're going high skill because when they got to 26, I'm looking at the draft board and I go, there's Noah Warren, there's Tristan Leneau, there's the safe defenseman with not the biggest upside there that I'm like, in previous years, this is what the Canadians would have done. They would have picked Nathan Gauthier if he was there, but that's not the point. And they went for Philip Mayshar, who not only is, you know, best friends with Yuri Slavkovsky, but like I wrote his draft profile for Eyes on the Prize and everything I read on the internet from scouting reports was he has all this talent. There's some flaws to it and physical flaws just in how his game is. But you watch him go and he wants to have the puck. He wants to go around defenders. He wants to get the puck where it needs to be. It's not a safe pick, but they're betting on their own development now to get them where they need to. And that's, I feel like that's how you get the best out of a draft is you took your risk. Yeah. Owen Beck is about as safe a pick as you can make at 33rd overall, but his ceiling's still phenomenal. He's not, you know, a nobody in this draft class. He could have gone anywhere in the top or not top 20, but in that range where 26 was, and it would have been shocking the change in philosophy, I think, is going to benefit the Canadians here. And, Tony, I don't know if you have any more thoughts on Mayshar, because I know some people are really – obviously, one Slovak is great, so the Canadians went, what do we do, two? What yeah. do we get, two? <laughs> they almost got three, because they almost got Adam Sakura too. Yeah, no, I so. love Mayshar's game. Like He's a guy that I had ranked in the top 15, and I knew I was ranking him higher than consensus, and I knew I was ranking him higher than he'd probably be picked. But this is a guy that works on, at an unreal work rate. He's just high-energy guy, plays a really – projectable game to the nhl and you look at him in a lot of the same ways i look at owen beck and i'm like yeah this guy's gonna at least be a third line player like i'm not worried about whether or not this is gonna be an NHLer. i'm i'm curious as to where his ceiling is gonna be and that's what with with meshar i think there's a little bit more skill than beck but i think we saw i saw some video today from uh development camp and meshar was working around bigger defensemen there's one defenseman he threw off despite being three four inches taller than him because he's played against men he knows how to play a straight line game he knows how to play a skill game he worked a puck through a defenseman's legs today in a board battle to get into space just to make a pass to the front of the net like there's so many little things that this guy does in his game that i'm like that's translatable to the nhl those small ice little games he plays it's really really important in today's nhl and he has the skating the speed and the work rate to do it and for me at 26 getting him and then getting owen back a few picks later at 33 like applaud it because that, that's a couple of really really nice uh picks both probably basically late first round picks, but like it's guys that I think are going to be really good NHLers going forward. And our chat right now is actually talking about, you know, who they would have picked and why the Habs didn't go in this direction. We're going to get into all that coming up next in our final segment. But first today's episode is brought to you by the folks at rock auto. 
there's so many makes and models of cars. Everything's expensive. It can be intimidating going into chain stores, trying to find it at a dealership, and only getting stuck with what they have. So save your time and your money when using Rock Auto. You can save 30, 50, even 100% compared to your local chain stores or dealerships. And they're a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Reliably low prices on everything you need. Brake pads, carpets, a gas filler cap if you need it. They've got it. So go explore their easy-to-use website today and find the solution to your auto parts needs. And when you're done at rockauto.com and you've got all the parts you need for your car, right, locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, we are back. It is our final little bit of our live stream here. If you are in the chat, please send any draft prospect-related questions here. We will give you our best to hammer them out for the next 15 minutes or so. The big question here that comes from Cicerons in chat is, why didn't they pick Jagger Furcus? And he was one of the names I had liked at 33 overall. He was still there. I don't hate the Owen Beck pick, but I wonder because they went with Mayshar if they didn't want to have so many people in that same vein of player, if they even are the same type of player. Tony, would you have picked Jagger Furcus at 33 overall or even 26th overall? I probably would have picked him at 33 overall. I, I wouldn't have picked him over Mesar because I, I did have Mesar ranked a little bit ahead of him, but I think all three of those guys, Mesar, uh, Furcus, and then obviously Slikovsky, were all top, top 20 guys on my board, and Owen Beck was a little bit more down because I do look at Beck's game as more projectable than any of those guys. I do like either Messar or even Fergus, but I don't think his upside's as high as, as a guy like Fergus. I think Fergus is a video game type player. He's a guy that he can wow you in an instant, put the puck in the back of the net with a wicked shot after working in the space with some crazy windmill deke or something. Like he does a lot of really fun things. It's an upside pick though, like with Fergus. I think he's a guy that, if I'm not mistaken, for the at the combine, he weighed in at 154 pounds. He's five foot ten. He's not huge by any means. And I think they went Hey, we're got we got Mesar, we got Savkowski. Let's get back. Let's get a third for sure NHLer, and then let's start swinging. And that's basically what they did after that. I think Lane Hudson's the Jagger Fergus of defensemen, so I think they still got one of those two guys. And I think if you would have went say Jagger Fergus at thirty three and Lane Hudson at sixty two, still you still would have got two incredible players, and one of them's probably going to work out. But I don't hate the back pick at thirty three after getting Mesar and Savkowski in the first round. Uh, there's another question from Gorthar1231. Throughout the whole draft, which player do you think the Habs most missed out on? And I don't think Shane Wright is uh, is the answer here, unfortunately. No, I don't think Shane Wright's the, the answer there. Uh, this is almost going to be a cheap answer because he did get drafted a couple picks after Mesar, a couple picks before Owen Beck, and it's Brad Lambert. And I think this goes against for every team in the NHL draft that didn't draft him. So basically even Winnipeg, they didn't draft him with their first pick. I think Brad Lambert's going to be a guy that proves a lot of people wrong. He was high up on my board. There was obvious reasons for why he fell. He didn't produce a ton in Finland, but the skill on this kid, the, uh, the tools in his toolbox are as good or better than just about anyone in this entire draft. Uh, he's a six foot center. I think he has good defensive instincts. He works to the middle of the ice at times. He's an unreal passer, the best skater or one of the best skaters in the draft. Brad Lambert would probably be my pick, but at the end of the day, I understand why he fell too. So getting a guy like Marichar a couple picks ahead of him, I think maybe Montreal, if, if he was there at 33, maybe you do take him. But at the end of the day, I think Montreal did pretty good with his draft class. 
and Mimo, who thinks you look like Matthew Kachuk, which I take, I would take as a massive compliment. <laughs> you could <laughs> wants to know oh. <laughs> Matthew Kachuk, not Brady. Matthew Kachuk. No, no, no. Brady is a goofy, goofy looking fella. I will take the Matthew Kachuk. <laughs> Thank you. Um, also, one. Well, Lambert was in the question, but what about Coolidge and Howard? I, I think Howard won a couple of picks after, right? Yeah, Howard won a couple of picks after, and I think. It, Isaac Howard's a guy that I really liked as well. I think he easily could have been the pick at, at 26 instead. But I, I do think Mayster is a guy that, like I said, I had him at, I think, 13 or 12 on my board. So he was a guy I was really high on. The projectability, I think, is there. I don't worry about whether or not he's going to be an NHLer. With Howard, I think that's, that's going to be a guy that scores goals at the NHL level. He's going to be a volume shooter, a volume producer. Does the rest of his game fill out the way Maystars already has? That's the big question with him. I think he's going to be an incredible offensive talent. But I think Maystar brings a little bit more to all the other areas of the game as well. A lot of people seem to agree with you in chat too about Lambert dropping. They're shocked. And that's all we heard. We've talked to you before uh, earlier in the year. We talked to you a little bit ahead of the draft. We talked to scouting as well. Uh, and everyone talked about how, you know, Brad Lambert seems to be the name that's going to fall and he probably shouldn't. And time's going to tell on that, you know, if there's the right system to help him bring out the best there, because I was rooting for Brad Lambert. I'm not mad at Mayshar. I really like that pick, especially with the game the Canadians want to play under Martin St. Louis that's based off of doing, you know, what you feel and instincts. They picked guys with instincts. And yeah. um, Vin says, uh, Ro here, and I am mispronouncing that. I will figure I this out. I think it's Roar. Like, that's how yeah. I heard them pronounce it with the, with the press it conference. It is Roar that... They yeah. mentioned he's one of the youngest guys in the draft. He would have been a 2023 draft pick in like a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah. Everything I've heard is they love this kid and they love his work ethic. And I I legitimately, when they called his name, I, I'm like, I don't know anything about this person. <laughs> Can you kind of give us a little bit of detail from what you might know about him? Uh, because Habs management seems to love him. A lot of people in the press row seem to uh, love him as well. So... I, yeah. I'm curious what makes him so special. Vin, Vincent's Roar is a guy that I think plays a really straight line game. You're not going to worry about him being the dynamic guy that overhandles the puck or anything. I think he's at his best when like he played center a little bit. I think he ends up as a winger at the next level. But I think he's a guy that kind of goes to the net, cleans up things around the net. He has really nice hands around the net. I think he has some really, really good hands out in space even as well. But I don't think he's a guy that's necessarily going to be the puck carrier or the play driver. I think he's going to be the guy that kind of creates havoc around the net, creates havoc in the corners, works hard. His skating isn't necessarily going to blow you away out in open ice, but along the boards, he's strong on his feet. He understands positioning. He knows where to put his body and how to get on the right side of the puck and work the puck free. And then he makes a, sw a quick pass, then moves to a position for where he's going to be able to make either a good screen or kind of clean up pucks around the side of the net or just find space and, and be able to get off a good shot. He got a good shot as well. So I don't think he's necessarily going to be a play driver, but if he's a guy that plays in your middle six as a winger that ends up being a, a really nice complimentary piece, I, I think he's a, one of those guys that you look at and you're like, man, like the way they drafted, especially those first five picks, I, it's going to be really interesting to see how many NHL players Montreal comes out of this draft with. And I think Rower is going to be one of them. It, we, someone mentioned that he's going to be the, uh, it was rock smasher saying he's going to be the one that explodes now that it's, you know, now that he's here and like Joshua Wad did maybe not the same type of player, but that potential is there. Like, and I'm, I'm excited. It, it gives me a reason to actually go to Ottawa maybe. <laughs> and by that, I mean, go to Niagara cause it's across the, uh, the peace bridge there to watch him play. So um, 
I'm very excited about that. Laura, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, I, I have a couple of questions because we've got a lot of questions. Like I honestly, we've got so many more questions than we expected. So we're going to try and power through. I'm going to take a couple from Twitter, um, a couple from Randy Hansen, who is one of our, uh, you know, our most uh, longest uh, listeners. And um, he has two questions. Any player that wasn't drafted at all, that was your biggest surprise. And which player in your mind was the best value pick that the Canadians made this year? Uh, the best value pick that the Canadians made this year, I'd probably go with Miguel. I don't even know. Like, I want to say Miguel Terrigny just because he was drafted later. But at the same time, he was a guy that I think probably may not have been drafted. And I think that would have been pretty acceptable. Um, but I think the best value is probably Lane Hudson, to be completely honest, the short king. He's a guy that was <laughs> an absolute stud all year long. Every tournament that he got a chance to play in, he was an absolute stud. He did so many good things, so many things that were just dynamic all over the ice. And as for a player that didn't get drafted, there's a lot of guys that didn't get drafted this year that I was kind of shocked about. I think Pano Femis was a guy that has the skill, has the upside to do it. He, he has some really nice playmaking and passing ability, but there were obvious holes in his game. But with where guys, certain other guys got drafted, maybe not necessarily by Montreal, because I think they had a good draft, but there were other guys that got drafted by different teams that I'm like, who is this person? Like I've never, like they played on a, an OHL team. I've watched the OHL all year. I've never heard of this person. Why did they get drafted? And the panel famous is a skilled guy that had 46 points or 47 points in the OHL this year, which isn't blowing the doors off, but it's a really good player. And I think that you can work with some of the tools and at least the passing instincts that he has. Uh, Jake Livinage, Livinavage, uh, from Chicago Steel, a really good defenseman, a little bit undersized, plays a really understated defensive game, but has the ability to move pucks, and he put up almost 50 points this year. And the offensive side of the game isn't his strong suit. So I think that was another guy that I was kind of shocked with. There was a few guys that it was just weird that they didn't get drafted. Even as Spencer Sova played for Canada at the U18s, wore a letter, good defensive player, incredible skater, he got suspended there for his mean streak, even like NHL teams seem to love that guy. He didn't get drafted. So there's a few players that didn't get drafted this year that I won't be shocked if they come in next year as overagers that uh, really impress. We had a couple questions about Lane Hudson and, and Terigny's ceilings. I think we kind of um, already covered that <laughs> earlier in this. So uh, one of the questions that I that we are getting or we, we received, and it's a conversation that has been going on in Montreal even before the draft, is um, do you think that Shane Wright is in a better position in Seattle with less pressure than there is in Montreal? I think that's kind of a goofy question, to be completely honest, especially with – and I'm not saying it's like the person asking is a goofball or anything. Like, that's <laughs> not what I'm saying. I think it's just a weird question considering this is a guy that's been in the spotlight for five years, essentially. This guy's been in the spotlight since he was 13, 14, when he was applying for exceptional status. And then when he was on pace to break John Tavares's record or at least tie it as a 15-year-old in the OHL, on pace to outscore – uh, Connor McDavid's exceptional status season that year before the pandemic hit and he had to get his season shut down. Do I think he probably could have been a perfectly good player in Seattle or Montreal? Yeah, I don't think it would have affected him that much. I think maybe there's a fire that's lit under him now that maybe brings out a little bit more out of him, to be completely honest. And, that, and maybe that's the reason. But I don't think the pressure of Montreal would have gotten to him because this is a kid that's had pressure for the last five years, basically. 
Yeah, that was what I was thinking, because I think once the draft pick was made, you know, obviously hindsight is a thing and the Internet is a thing. So people have been going back and litigating that and relitigating <laughs> that. And on yesterday's episode, we were talking a little bit about how, you know, Shane Wright, like people are like, oh, he's he's doing the death stare. He's got an attitude problem. I think for me, like these are you have to wait. You have to remember at the end of the day, these are really young players, even Slavkovsky, like some people are saying he comes off too cocky or not cocky enough or whatever it is like. These are 18 year olds. I think like most of most of what we do or what we talk about is projections and hopes. Um, so I know, Scott, were you about to take a question? From I actually Jewish had one. <laughs> I, I actually just had one because it came to my mind here because it's been something I got asked at work by everyone who's like, you were at the draft. Um, who and it was who do you think took the biggest reach out of every team here? And my first thought was Philadelphia uh, based on where they were and what they did. But that might just be my own opinion being kind of, you know, blurred here a little bit, but I am going to ask the guy who knows more than I do, Tony, who do you think made, you know, the biggest reach or might have uh, maybe gambled a bit too hard uh, at least in the first round anyways. Well, I'll go with Philadelphia because in the top five, I don't think Kyrie Croce would have been a player that I would have drafted. Um, I probably wouldn't have drafted him in the top 15, but hey, Philly's going to do what they do. Chuck Fletcher is just providing entertainment for all of us. But uh, just to <laughs> give a different answer than than kind of what everyone's done essentially this year with saying Philly reached a little bit for for Goche, who I think is going to be a good player at the end of the day. I think he is going to be a really good winger at the next level. And I say winger because I don't believe he's going to be a center like some people do. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the the biggest reach in the first round came at the end of it, and that was either Arizona or Edmonton. Um, Edmonton drafted Reed Schaefer, who's going to be a perfectly good third liner, maybe, maybe. Um, and Edmonton does their thing, and they're always making weird mistakes <laughs> in the draft. It seems um, never draft the right player there. Um, oh. Ken Holland, great job. Uh, and the other guy I'm going to pick on a little bit is the guy whose parents made out at the draft, which is <laughs> one of the greatest moments I've ever seen in history. Uh, Maverick Lamoureux, who's this massive six eight defenseman. And that's where the compliments kind of end, honestly. Like, I, don't, I feel bad saying it, but this is a guy that his mobility is a little bit clumsy at times. Uh, I watched him take shots at a, a top prospects game, and it, albeit this was just a practice, but he fired 15, 16, 17 pucks and didn't hit the net once. Um, like, there's stuff that you would love to see him do, but he doesn't do it. Um, maybe this kid ends up coming up and, and figuring it out and gets the coordination to do it, but. At the end of the day, I feel like Arizona went, this dude's 6'8", let's draft him. And I think there's been studies done that show that once you get above 6'4", 6'5", most of the time those players don't work out because the coordination just isn't there. Like, this isn't the NBA. You don't need a 6'8 guy on your team. Um, so I think maybe that's kind of one of the other picks that was probably a little bit of a reach, especially considering Brad Lambert and then Isaac Howard went in between those two guys. Yeah, I think size is something that people fall for in a lot of areas of life that, <laughs> that people go for. Um, super quick, I actually had um, a question about um, like the overall sort of draft, uh, I guess the whole body of work on, on Friday and Saturday or Thursday and Friday. Which team do you think um, was, or let's say like teams that you think were winners and teams that you think were maybe not so much? Well, the winners, I, I include Montreal in that. Um, but I think the other guy, the other teams that I'd look to are Seattle, I think was a big winner. I think they had a great draft. They drafted Shane Wright, obviously, at fourth overall. Jagger Ferguson in the second round. Like They drafted a lot of really nice players, I think, uh, that kind of made up for their draft last year and their expansion draft, which were both a little bit questionable. 
Um, but at the end of the day, they got Matthew Benares and Shane Wright down the middle now. Jagger Ferkus uh, is a really good wing prospect. I think they've got some some guys coming up that are, are going to look good on that team in a few years and really going to build that franchise out. Um, as for losers, Edmonton and Arizona were the two big ones that I, I saw because outside of Logan Cooley, I don't know what Arizona was doing. Um, and as for Edmonton, Ken Holland is doing his thing. and I don't know how else to really say it. <laughs> I love that. Um, yes, I, I believe... Um... Was it Connor Geeky that we were talking about last time? Yeah. Around that, that can't really skate all that well, even though he well, has a lot worry. of skills. Well, don't worry. He can't skate at all right now based on that injury, which oh, I feel... Oh, no. <laughs> I, 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 I feel bad. No stairs. one should get hurt at camp right now. Like, it's awful because the Habs lost two players at camp already through freak injuries. Jaden Struble's hurt and Gianni Fairbrother is injured as well. It's maybe Lou Lamarillo is smart for not doing development camp and not letting his players get injured. But <laughs> I, I, I had one other thought of who had a really good draft, and I thought Columbus did uh, decently yes. well. Uh, Yurichek with the pick they got in the Seth Jones trade is just phenomenal work. Beautiful. And then they picked uh, Maychuk, uh, I believe, Denton as well. Chuck, correct. Yeah. We that wanted, to yes, me is a slam dunk. Yeah. That's a slam dunk, is it not? Yeah, it really is. I think Denton Matejchuk and Juracek, you look at them, they, they, they're they opposite hands of each other, and you look at them and you're like, ooh, that could be a really fun pairing in a few years. Uh, Juracek's this guy that has tools at both ends of the ice. He's a really good skater. Got a mean streak to him. He's been suspended a few times in the last couple of years. Once, <laughs> once for just getting up on a guy, hitting, uh, kind of hitting a little up high, and another time for just after the whistle, cross-shaking a dude in the face because uh, he was getting in his grill a little bit too much. So, Pairing that mean streak, that defensive game, along with some really offensive skill, a really cerebral attitude offensively. I think that's why he was my top defenseman on the board between him and Nemec. And then getting a guy like Dent Matejcik, who has this incredible offensive skill, the creativity that the only other player in the draft that I could compare him to is Lane Hudson, is just this unreal pairing that you look down the road and you're like, man, if they if they really kind of rebuild their defensive core around those two guys, you bring in Wierenski, They've got some really nice pieces back there. And, I mean, Sillinger and Ken Johnson up front as well. Columbus is doing some really, really nice things recently. It, it The draft is always fun because everyone wants to go, this person's a winner, this person's a loser. And then four years from now, some kid picked in the sixth round is putting up 40 goals heading into the <laughs> NHL. So yeah. who the hell knows? Uh, all we can do is guess. Uh, Laura, do we have any more questions we wanted to get to before we wrap up on this? I'm just going to ask Tony real quick because we got a lot of questions about this, not just in the chat, but in, on Twitter as well. People want to know about what your thoughts are on Kirby Doc, who's now a Montreal Canadian, and Dylan Strom, who could be a target as they're both pretty, they're young enough to still be kind of in your, <laughs> uh, in your area of expertise. Yeah, you know, Kirby Doc's a guy that I definitely think should be, Habsman should be excited about. A guy that played, I think he's six foot four, is a really good playmaking center. Uh, skating is improving over the last couple of years. I think that's a big thing. He had the, the injury last year that kind of re really kind of hampered his season and development a little bit. But at the end of the day, this is a guy that was drafted third overall a couple of just a few drafts ago. So I, I don't think he's out of the window of, of, of the Habs at all. And I think this is a guy that you look at and you're like, okay, if we have Suzuki as our number one center, now we have Doc as the number two. Now you build your top six around them too. And you have these guys that can play a lot of big minutes for that team. And, bring that offensive flair that I think sometimes Montreal has been missing the last few years. And as for, for Strom, I, I don't know what Chicago is doing. They're just sending everybody that's valuable at the window. 
And uh, if Montreal can get him, that's a really good, really, really good versatile player. Can play on the wing, can play center. If he ends up being your second line center and let Doc be the third line center until he supplants Strom as the second line center, great. If if Strom comes in and Doc is, is being good enough to be the second line center right away, maybe you put Strom on the wing and then you have a pair that's kind of played together a little bit. I think Strom is going to be a target for a lot of teams this offseason. I think Montreal will be a really great landing spot for him. You heard it here, Kent Hughes. Make sure that you call Dylan Strom's people at noon today whenever this episode drops. We can sign all three Stroms. All th- all of them are in free agency. Ryan, <laughs> Matthew, who, sure, and Dylan. Like, they can have <laughs> Stroms to the third power. Just make a line of Stroms. The Magistro. I, anyways, I'm going to make a bad pun, and before I do that and ruin all of our all of our guests here, Tony, as always, thank you so much. Do you want to tell our folks where they can find your work, find you on socials and whatnot? Yeah, you can find all my work at the Hockey News. Everything's go- going up there. I've got a couple of post-draft articles there. Uh, and find me on Twitter at the Tony Ferrari, where I'm mostly going to be making uh, fun of people's draft classes and poking fun at different things and stuff like that <laughs> because I'm kind of in vacation mode now. So I'm, uh, I'm relaxed. I'm sitting on the couch. I'm not even at my desk doing this. It's, uh, it's a good time <laughs> in the summer. As as we all do, Laura and I are we I guess we should tell you that we are down to three episodes starting. I believe it's next week's because once free agency is over, I am throwing my phone in the lake. Uh, I love you all dearly on Twitter, but no, I am you getting are not. No, I need it. I have to play Candy Crush and Pokemon Go. It's fine. Um, as <laughs> always, we will be going down to three days a week. It's we will be going funny. down to three episodes a week. I will not be getting rid of my phone because I am a phone addicted millennial. As always, thank you for following us. Make sure you are on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians, Locked on Canadians at YouTube. Follow Laura at The Active Stick. Follow myself at Scott Matla. We love y'all. We will see you after free agency.